Good morning. My daughter just said, good luck. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do with that. You can be seated. Uh, well, uh, I guess I'm back in the pulpit here at Everglades. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, just want to say a few words if I could. One of the things that's really amazing is the gift of grace that I've been given. To be blessed with a church family that prays. And uh, for a God in heaven who saw fit to give me life yet again. You know, and so I'm humbled by that. And, uh, but because I am a preacher of the word, we're going to go right to it. We're in the book of Job. We're in Job chapter 6. I don't know why, but I tend to pick the books that are really, really, really interesting. Um, Job is an amazing book. We've been through the first five chapters. Uh, we saw Job go through a lot of heartache. He went from losing all of his wealth, losing his children, losing his health, being told was by his wife to just curse God and die. He had some great friends that came to visit, and uh, they were great for the first seven days. Then they opened their mouths and spoke. Uh, we saw them beginning to, to cancel out Job's struggling. I used cancel because that's what's going on in our culture today. With that said, what we're going to do is we're going to stand and read Job chapter 6. We're only going to do the first couple of verses. And then we're going to preach through the whole chapter, God willing, and the creek don't rise. So please stand, if you will, for the reading of God's word. Job chapter 6, verse 1. But Job answered and said, Oh, that my grief were thoroughly weighed, and my calamity laid in the balances together. For now it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore my words are swallowed up, for arrows of the Almighty are within me, the poison whereof drinketh up my sp in my spirit. The terrors of God do set themselves in array against me. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, uh, thank you for what you've done through Job. Thank you that it, it can be an example to us, and it is. Lord God, I ask that you would have your way in us today as we look to your word. And Lord God, apply it to our lives. We love you. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, here's something cool to know. All right? That dark providences are not bad. Struggles are not bad. Okay? They are used for the glory of God and the good of his people. I, I, let me just tell you, I don't know if you know this, but I didn't choose to go to the hospital. Well, technically I did, because my wife says, do you want to go to the hospital? I said, no. And then I said, yes. I don't know. But, but this dark providence was good. It was a good plan that God had. It is not the plan I would have chosen, but it is a good plan. I, I want to just uh, give you on the front end, one of the things that go, uh, going through this struggle has accomplished in my, life, in my life is a greater love for people and a greater love for the gospel. It is a greater love for the hurting, a greater love for the broken. Because one day I was broken and he reached down and plucked me out of the mire 
and set me on the solid rock of Christ. So keep that in mind as we go through, because this book, this chapter is a dark chapter. Why don't you listen to verse one and two? But Job answered and said, Oh, that my grief were thoroughly weighed and my calamity laid in the balances. Why did Job write this? Why did he write this specific chapter in the midst of a book that is really hard to begin with? Well, Job is letting us know, he's letting us know the state of his ailing, overwhelmed heart. And he is actually welcoming death to come. You know, Think about that, welcoming death to come. So what are we going to learn today? We're going to learn a few things. One is we're not to let our circumstances overwhelm us. Okay? And then for that, we're not to let our discouragement and our struggles be our bread, be our sustenance. Our hurts cannot be our hope. Christ is the hope of glory. And so, does that make sense? So, as we walk through, and there's a third one in there that has totally slipped my mind, but we'll get to it. So, first truth is don't let your circumstances overwhelm you. Again, look at verse 1. Job answers nothing. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, Job, Job, his friends are now quiet. They've already gone on the attack. And Job is answering. After being criticized, minimized, misrepresented, maligned, having every loss blamed on his own sinfulness, he answered and made a most profoundly desperate statement. He wanted his grief to be weighed. As if it could be weighed. How much would grief, the loss of almost everything in his life, be weighed? How do we measure that kind of loss? Not just your wealth, not just your health, but all 10 of your children done and gone. How do you weigh that? Job lost everything he held dear. Even his wife said, curse God and die. I mean, everything is against him. The greatest struggle, of course, is this loss of his children. Not only his loss, but the loss of his bride's children. So bad was the hurt that she had asked him why he held on to his integrity. So who of us can face all those hardships, all those dark providences, and not be overwhelmed and taken by them? Who can do that? Let's just say what I love about the book of Job his Job is okay with letting us know he struggled. With letting us know he faltered. With letting us know he failed. It reminds me of the book of Jonah. Remember, Jonah, really, for all intents and purposes, was somewhat rebellious in his heart. And even after the people of Nineveh were redeemed, he said, God, I knew you would do it. I knew you would save them. That's why I didn't want to go in the first place. Because they don't deserve to be saved. What I love about this book is interesting. The book of Jonah, which is not the book we're in right now, is at the end, you don't see, and Jonah repented. You don't see that. You know why? Because the book is not about Jonah. Much like this book of Job 
is not about Job. It is about the glory of God and the sake of his great name. So what's really interesting, Job tries to weigh them out, or at least he wants to t everyone to take a guess of how much struggle he has had during this overwhelming trial. Job chapter 6 verse 3 says this, now it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore, my words are swallowed up. He says to his hearers, it is so heavy that it's like all the weight of the sand of the sea is upon him. And not only is upon him, but swallows his words up. They don't mean anything. No one can hear them. Does that make sense? Now, I know none of you have ever struggled with this. So you're probably thinking, all right, here's Job struggling yet again. But you know what? Some of us actually struggle and have to battle with life. You know, I will give you a, a great plus to being on this side of Club Rollerson. I haven't been discouraged since. I haven't been dismayed since. Now, I'm not saying it may not come. What I'm saying is by the grace of God, he has encouraged my heart because I should be dead. And yet I have life. Kind of neat. And so we may not be able to number the sand of the sea. We may not be able to weigh them on scales. But he proclaims and assesses that it is, it is this heaviness that just swallows up everything he could say. Have you ever felt that burdened? That almost consumed by your struggles? What good are his words? Look at his friends, they don't even like his words. Okay, his words fall on deaf ears. Okay, the next verse tells us the heart of the matter. The next verse shows us the state of Job's heart, shows us his attitude of what has happened to him. Look at what it says, Job 6, 4. The arrows, listen, the arrows of the what? Almighty are within me. The poison whereof drinketh up my spirit. The terrors of God do set themselves in array against me. He blames this swallowing up of his words, the fact that his friends aren't listening, the fact that his life is a mess. And who does he blame? The Almighty, the God of glory, okay? So there is no peace for him. There is no comfort. There is no hope. He blames God for these arrows that have torn him asunder, that have caused him to trip and to fall. These arrows of the Lord, or at least Job's own heart perception of these arrows of the Lord, these darts, these hurts, these pains, these struggles, these trials, these circumstances have poisoned. This poison, these putrid thoughts that have so tainted his heart that his spirit has drank it up and has even feasted upon it. Think about that. His hurt has become his bread. He has eaten the poisonous thoughts about this unfair treatment he thinks God is putting on him because God is being unfair. He is doubting the goodness of God. So the terrors of God have set themselves in array against him. 
the terrors of God, like many in an army coming against him and threatening to overtake him. But in his eyes, they've already overtaken. Job is not right in his assessment of God, allowing these trials in his life. Job has turned to thinking that God is not being good. And this makes sense when you see the overwhelming circumstances and the downright judgment from his friends. Nothing is going Job's way. Aside that he's still living and breathing, God is still sustaining him. Job is failing. Listen, here's the hard part. Job is failing and he seems to be okay with it. He's almost resigned himself to misery, not allowing his heart to rest in God who made him, but rather turning to wrong thoughts about God. I know none of you do that, right? None of you turn to wrong thoughts about God, do you? I was thinking of um, an amazing passage that Pastor Eric read. He says in Job 61, verse 1, I cry out to you, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the ends of the earth I cry unto thee, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. So done, so spent, so tired, so discouraged, so beaten down. Just lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Well, you know, what, what David does that Job doesn't do yet is David knows who to go to when his heart is overwhelmed. And it's really neat in verse 3 and 4. He, I want you to listen to the words. He says, you have been a shelter for me and a strong tower against the enemy. Notice the, the tense. I'm not an English major, but that sounds like past tense to me. You have been a shelter, my protection. You have been a strong tower against the enemy, my protection. But I want you to notice what happens in verse 4. I will come into your tabernacle. I will hide under the covert of your wings. What does he do? He goes from past tense to what? To future. All right, you've done it already, and you will do it again. You will be my protection, and I will hide under the cover of your wings. You will be my protection. So there's a beauty here. He cries out. Why does David cry out like this? David knows who it is that's in charge. He knows who it is that holds him. David knows that no matter what, no matter what happens, unless God attends to his plea, unless God meets him in the struggle, he is undone. David can worry all he wants about his life, about the worries and concerns, but they will not help him to be at peace, but will keep him a prisoner of the hurt and the pain. Think about it. David's life was a mess. Saul was trying to kill him. His son's trying to usurp his authority. One of his sons does something unspeakable, unspeakable to one of his daughters. And David, it hurts a lot, but he goes before God. The reason why David's crying out to God is because he knows God is the only one that can and would answer him and grant him peace. Listen to what it says in Psalm 121, verse 2. My help cometh from the Lord, which made the heaven and the earth. Where does this help come from? It comes from the Lord. You know, think about that. All of his help comes from the God of heaven. 
That same psalm begins with, I look into the hills from whence my help comes. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He knows that God who made everything, God who formed everything, is the only hope he has. It's all his hope and stay. He is the one that is mighty to save. Psalm 20, verse 7, listen to what it says. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. David knew that chariots would fail and horses would fail. By the way, what happened to those horses that chased the Jews through the Red Sea? Just saying. They were taken. But then verse uh, 6 of chapter... Uh, 20 of Psalms says this. Now I know that the Lord saveth his anointed. He will hear from his holy hill, uh, from his holy heaven, sorry, and with the saving strength of his right hand. God saves his people. But sometimes it feels like that salvation's a little far away. Sometimes it feels that it's overwhelming and we can't handle it, but we can. Because we have a God in heaven who holds. I love that song you guys we sing as a church. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. I'm not singing anymore, but you know what I mean. That song. Because it was about to start crackling really bad. So does that make sense? So here he is. His circumstances are bringing him low. But guys, the second thing is... We're not to let our bitterness become our bread. We're not to let our hurt become our sustenance. We're not to let our pain become our hope. Does that make sense? Listen to what he does. Job 6.5 Doth the wild ass bray when he hath bread, or, the, or loweth the oxen over his fodder? The, the donkey does not sit there and complain when he had his, has his food in front of him. And neither will the ox when he has his fill of grass. They only complain what they have. None. And so he is trying to justify his pain. He's trying to live in his hurt. He then uses, you know, he, he then just continues. But listen, when things follow what we want, and we have the desires of our hearts, guess what we don't do? We don't complain. It's when we go without that we begin to complain. And sometimes when we have everything, we still complain. It reminds me of a poem I had once read. Um, by, I think it's Arlington wrote it. I could be wrong on the name. But it was called Richard Corey. And the play was about this man who was all that in a bag of chips. He, he was skinny, he was proper, well-dressed. People's hearts fluttered when he walked by. They thought he had it all. And the last line says, they cursed the bread and waited for light. And that night, Richard Corey went and put a bullet in his head. Because having it all doesn't satisfy either. We need the God of heaven. We need the God of heaven. But he continues in his argument. He continues in his hurt. Can that which is unsavory, that which is tasteless, be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste with the white of an egg? 
Guys, when you have my bride as your protector, as your, as your caregiver, and she tells you you can't have the yolks anymore, you have to have egg whites. The most tasteless stuff you can eat. The cool thing is it takes the flavor of what you put with it, but it doesn't do it well. So, so he, that's his point. Listen, Job says, can you eat something that's tasteless if you don't season it? Can you, you know, so it, it's got no taste. So right now, everything in his life has no taste. He's hurting. He's broken. Guys, he has had a diet of useless advice from his friends. Useless thoughts of, of uh, how, how God is just being unfair. And, but God is doing this for the glory of his name. There's something that Job doesn't know. He doesn't know that God has ordained it because God will hold him. Will hold him fast. Job chapter 6 verse 7. The things that my soul refused to touch are as my sorrowful meat. The things that Job's soul refused to touch are his food. What he must partake of because he has no hope. He has nothing more that can satisfy because he has been forsaken of God. Or so he thought. Doesn't this remind you of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, where it says, uh, he's a thorn in his flesh has been put there by Satan to buffet him. And he cried out to the Lord three times, begging for this thorn to be removed. And God's response is an interesting one, right? My grace is sufficient. Great. My grace is sufficient. What a great answer. And God is serious. But, but you know what? We are sometimes so inward focused that we forget that there is a real gospel. We forget that there's a real God of the gospel. That we forget that there's a real Holy Spirit that dwells in us. We forget a lot of things. And so instead of his friends just being there in encouragement, they are feeding him ill-advised counsel because they did not have all the information either. He's so discouraged, so beat down, he has one request for God. And guys, this is where it gets a little darker for him. Look at verse 8 and 9. Oh, that I might have my request, and that God would grant me the thing that I long for, even that it would, be, it would please God to destroy me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. That's a little dark, isn't it? He asks that he would not have this, this request, this plea, this one passion of his. He wanted God to grant them the one thing he longs for. That God would loose his hand, stop holding back death, just cut him off from the land of the living so that he didn't have to struggle anymore. He is so despondent and done with the pains of life that he wants it all to end. He wants it to be done. And he wants God to just snuff out his life. And if you think that it gets better, it doesn't. Look at verse 10. Job 6.10 says, Then should I have comfort. Yea, I would harden myself in sorrow. Let him not spare 
for I have not concealed the words of the Holy One. You know what? One thing I really do respect about Job is he is honest, at least. He may have wrong thoughts, but at least he's bringing those thoughts to whom? To the God of heaven. And so he thinks that he would have comfort and he would have peace if he were to die. He says he would harden himself in sorrow, that he would have exalted in unsparing pain. He did not want to be spared. He did not want to live anymore. He did not try to hide his words from the Holy One. He was honest with what he felt. He longed for death, for the battle of this life to end. Listen to how done he was. Look at verse 11. What is my strength that I should hope? And what is mine end that I should prolong my life? And his wisdom driven quite from me. What strength did he have? What should he have hoped for? What should he look forward to? What is his end since everything he held dear is now gone? Why should he prolong his life? He is despondent. He's overwhelmed. He's done. He has no reason why he should continue, humanly speaking. Is Job as strong as stones? Well, no. You know, is he a hard metal like brass or bronze? Absolutely not. I want you to think this through a little. Guys, what is it that we hear from people all the time in our culture? You've got to pick yourselves up by your bootstraps and press on. Guys, I, I, love, I love my family. My brother came down to visit me in the hospital. And this is what he said. He says, Tom, you beat this. And I said, in my limited, this is what I said. I said, Mike, I couldn't even wake myself up. You need to look to the God who raised me. To the God of heaven who, who gave me life again. I said, you need to get right with him. By the way, my brother promised to listen to the messages I preach. I'm going to start sending them in videos. But does that make sense? We can do nothing apart from the grace of God and the mercy of God. Can he continue to endure these hard circumstances? Can he press on during these unimaginable hurts? He is not saying that he's able to endure, uh, he, 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 that he's able to endure this question about his help. But rather, he is utterly helpless. And under his own strength, his wisdom is lost to him and driven away. There's nothing he can do. Guys, Job needs God. By the way, so do you. And so do I. We need the God of heaven. So it is a hard place to be when you see God as being the one who's against you. Feeling forsaken of God may cause you to rely on man to fill what only God can fill. So from the ends of the earth, I cry to thee when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to what? The rock that is higher than I. Let me give you a hint on the rock. It's Christ. Christ is the rock we want to be led to. How do I know that? Well, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I believe it's in verse uh, 4, but I could be wrong. It says... Christ is the rock that followed them. That's the beauty 
We have a Christ in heaven. And so he cries out to God. And so he is totally at wit's end and he needs grace, the grace of God to comfort his heart. Guys, David called to God for God to bring him to the rock that is higher than him, where Job just complained. That's all he did is complain here. But remember, there's an end to this book too. God does correct him. But, oh, there it is. Look at that. 1 Corinthians 10, 4. I was right. It says, And all did drink the same spiritual drink. They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. I knew it was there. Okay. Christ was the life-given water. And they kept on disobeying. And David sees Christ as that rock. Uh, in Psalm 61, and he wants God to, to, to hold him. God is the sufficiency that we need. Listen, guys, the neat thing is we cannot rely on anything but God because that's all we got. Now, what if you're here and you do not know Christ? Let me help you. The word of God is true, and every man is a liar. Okay? And if the word of God is true, and we preach what it says, not what we think, but what it says. We know that that part that we read is inspired of God. Guys, God speaks to his word. And when we go through the Bible, verse by verse, text by text, we will know what God desires of us. Because God gives us his word so that we could learn and grow. Here's what uh, it says in 2 Corinthians 3, 4. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills. But the Spirit gives life. We have a life-given word that we proclaim. Christ is our sufficiency. Okay, did Job forget that? Oh, yeah. But guys, don't we forget that? Or am I the only one? So listen. Our last truth, and by the way, I told you the one I couldn't remember, is friends cannot be where you find your hope. Guys, friends can't be where you find your hope. I can't find my hope in what Pastor Doug thinks, but I praise God. He's in my life to encourage me. What Pastor Eric thinks, but praise God. He's in my life to encourage me. Oh, what my bride thinks, praise God. She is there, and God uses her in my life. My hope must come from my sufficient Christ, my sufficient Savior. It doesn't come with what men can do. We do not go by men's applause. We stand in Christ and Him crucified. Look at what it says in Job 6.14. To him that is afflicted, pity should be shown from his friend. But he forsaketh the fear of the Almighty. Job assumes... The afflicted should be pitied. And yes, they should. But what if you're not? 
Guys, our, 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 our pity is with God. He shows us love. Our friends don't always. Friends forsake. When I love what it, um, David says in Psalm 68, verse 5 and 6. When my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. Okay? And he sets us solitary in a home, in a family. By the way, the church is God's family that he sets us in. So he thinks that these friends who withhold kindness have forsaken the fear of God. They stop resting in the fear and reverence of God. And so because of that, they've stopped showing mercy to him. But guys, his friends were human. His friends see Job, this upright man, going through all these struggles. And they go, if this can happen to him, this can happen to who? To me. And so they had to find a reason why Job brought this upon himself. But guys, men fail us. Listen to what it says about his friends. Listen, praise God that he had friends that would sit with him in the dust and ashes for seven days and be silent. I can't even be silent for seven minutes. I'm just being real, okay? But he's got friends that sat with him. But his friends have lost focus as well. Watch what he says in Job 6.15. My brethren have dealt deceitfully as a brook, as stream of the stream of the brook, brooks, they pass away. His friends are like waters that do not water. They're like brooks that pass away. He was being harsh with these brothers because they were being harsh with him. They were in his eyes as treacherous friends, like streams that are caused by storms that pass by and then waste away in a bay. He was wanting to rely on their mercies. But whose mercies did he leave out? Okay, he was disheartened. He was smitten of God, melted away from discouragement, the pains he faced. And he says some more things about his friends. Look at verse 16. Job 6, 16 says, Which are blackish by reason of ice, wherein the snow is hid. What time they wax warm, they vanish, vanish when it's hot. They are consumed out of its place, out of their place. The paths of their way are turned aside. They go to nothing and perish. Guys, those storm waters eventually go away. They're not there to water. They come for a time and they are gone. Guys, this is, you know, it's really neat. Their paths have turned this way and that way. They have turned aside from mercy. They, they, they have very little mercy. Their love in his eyes is nil. Nothing and perished like storm waters that turn this way and that way and do not last or continue but waste and perish and dry up. But then he goes on and he switches gears. Now he's going to go to the wanderers, to the merchants that travel in verse 19. Watch what it says. The troops of Tamar looked and the companies of Sheba waited for them, waited for what? These brooks. And they were confounded because they had hoped they came thither and were ashamed. They went to where the water should have been, and guess what? There were no waters to be found. Okay? Watch what it says in verse 21. For now ye are nothing. Ye see my casting down are afraid. He says to his friends, you're nothing. You see, you see the struggle. You see what I'm going through. And you're, you're just afraid that it'll happen to you. That's why you're attacking. 
That's why they're afraid. Job 6.22. Did I say bring unto me or give me a reward out of your substance? Deliver me from the enemy's hand or redeem me from the hand of the mighty? He says, I haven't asked you for anything. You came to me. You sat with me for seven days. You prayed with me for those seven days. And now you're saying that I'm the problem. I didn't ask you to bring me your sustenance. I didn't ask you to give, to give me your substance. I didn't ask you to free me from my enemy's hands or from the mighty that want to take me out. I didn't ask you. You didn't ask. Watch what it says, verse 24. By the way, here's where Job's humility comes in. Maybe you'll catch it. Teach me, and I will hold my tongue. And cause me to understand wherein I have erred. There's humility here. He pleads with them to teach him. He promised to be quiet if he, they would just teach him and show him how he is wrong. Give evidences on how he was grievously sinful. How he could have brought this upon himself. He says, just teach me and I will listen to you. Because I want to know. When my brothers come up to me and, and correct me from some wrong thinking, do you know what they do? They use God's word. They use God's word. What else do they have? What else do we have but God's word? Watch what he says in verse uh, 25. How forcible are right words. But what doth your argument reprove? He goes, how amazingly strong your words are. But what good are they if they do not correct me? What good are they if they do not reprove me? What good are they if there's no proof of that sinfulness you say that I have there? And he's basically telling them that your words are empty. But guys, in all honesty... Aren't Job's words empty to this point in this chapter? Because, listen, he just wants, he wants to know why. I don't blame him for wanting to know why. But in the end, his friends were never meant to be what only God can be. Have you ever wondered, if you're married, why God gave you the spouse that you have? You know, I, I, I don't know, but I'm going to venture to guess that I have some annoying qualities. Uh, I, I would venture to guess that I sometimes am not nice. Don't ask Stacy though. Uh, I, I, I wonder why God gives us the spouse that we have. And I believe it's because two reasons. One, he loves you and he's got a wonderful plan of sanding away your hard spots, okay? Two, your wife or your husband was never meant to be what fills you. God is. So sometimes we look at our spouse or even our children to meet our needs when God is the only one that can meet our needs. Our parents can be there and provide, but in the end, God is the provision that we need. Let me see if I could just drive this home with a couple more verses. Psalm 118, verse 8. By the way, 
It is said to be, I didn't do the math myself, so forgive me. Psalm 118.8 is the center most scripture in the Bible. It's smack down, not in the middle of Psalms, but towards the latter half of Psalms. Psalm 118.8, center most Bible verse. Ready? It is better to trust in the Lord than put confidence in man. Let me put that on the bottom shelf. Ready? Trust God, not man. Okay? Or, or maybe someone 18.9 might throw it overboard for you. Ready? It's better to trust in the Lord than put confidence in princes. Listen, as much respect as I have for the presidency, he is not my God. He is the president. He is the leader. But he is not my hope. He is not the savior. And neither was his predecessor. God is the hope that we look to. God is the one that we rely on. So, uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 4, will help a little as well. This is what it says. God forbid, let God be true, and listen, every man a liar. It is written that you might be justified in thy sayings, mightest overcome when thou art judged. God is right, and men are wrong. I put that on a, a bumper sticker. It won't go over well. So friends are not meant to be for us what only God could be. Our brides are not meant to be for us what only God could be. Our husbands are not meant to be for us what only God can be. Our children cannot be for us what only God can be. Our parents, I don't even know what I got to. Our politicians can't be that. It reminds me of a, a show I used to watch. Um, where it, it, it was Remington Steel. I don't know if you remember that. It's an old show. There was this, this fat-free, calorie-free cookie. And people were killing for it. Because if this gets on the market, all the cookie companies would fall under. Sometimes I think that we would rather look to the next best thing. The, the pill that will make you lose 20 pounds in like one day. Then look to the God of heaven is faithful and does what is good and right. God is all that we need. Our marriages, our children, our wives, our husbands, our politicians cannot be what only God could be. This does not mean we do not love or show compassion, okay, and grace to our families and with our families. This just means that we cannot have them be our hope. We must look to the God of heaven because we have not been equipped to be their hope. We've been equipped to be their encouragers. And if you're in Christ, then keep on pointing people to Jesus because he is the only hope we have. Wouldn't it have been nice if Job had a friend that would have done that at this point when he was struggling? But honestly, this book was written so that we would learn that we cannot rely on men. We must rely on God. Because he who formed us is he who keeps us. And he who keeps us is the one who keeps on keeping us until he who keeps us comes back and takes us. Until the redemption of the purchased possession. Until he comes and takes possession of that which he has already purchased, which is those who believe. If you're here and you do not know Christ, 
and discouragement is your home? Look to Christ and live. Look to Christ. He is the only hope there is. By the way, have you looked around? This utopia that our, our, our world wants cannot happen. Cannot happen because men are sinful. But one day, he will make all things new and right. But if you hear you do not know Christ, I want to challenge you to look to him. I realized something else in the hospital, if you don't mind me sharing this one brief thing. I realized that there is a road that absolutely every human being is on, okay? And there is a fork. One is a narrow gate and one is a wide gate. And what we are doing on our way is we are introducing people to Christ so that they would look to the narrow gate. They would look to the Christ who saves. May that be our hearts today. May that be our hearts today. May we not let discouragement become our, our bread. May we not let people become what fills us. May we look to the God of heaven who fills and the Christ who came to die and who has placed his, his salvation upon us if we know him. Let's pray and I will sing. Father, thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love and your compassion. Thank you for your dear son, our solid rock in whom we trust. If there's someone here that doesn't know you, may today be the day of their salvation. May today they repent and believe the gospel. Oh, Father, we thank you for your mercies. We love you and thank you and praise in Jesus' name.